This is the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. I am in the offices of RPA in Los Angeles, and I'm here with Pete Imwali, who is COO and EVP. Welcome, Pete. Thank you. Give us a thumbnail of RPA. So RPA is a full-service ad agency. Uh, The term full-service means different things to different people, but we are basically a holistic marketing services company. Started out as a traditional ad agency many years ago, and we evolved into a lot of digital practices over the years. Uh, We work with large clients, Honda and Farmers Insurance, to name a couple, and Apartments.com, Lazy Boy. Uh, We have a different service model for each of those clients, depending on whether or not we do media or creative or digital or web development. We've got about 750 employees, mostly here in Santa Monica, but also spread out over six other offices across the country. RPA has a low turnover for talent. What's in the culture that's making that possible? Well, at RPA, we like to call it people first. And people first is something that is a philosophy that we have patterned ourselves on both internally, the way that we like to treat each other, externally, the way we like to treat partners and clients, and also with the way that we like to talk to customers. Uh, We very much believe that treating people right and having integrity and transparency is a good for business, not just a nice to have. And I think a lot of the reason that you get low turnover here is because People who have worked other places really appreciate that it feels comfortable to come to work every day and not be hiding anything and not feeling like you're playing any games. And you've got loyalty on the client side, too. You've been representing Honda for years and years. What are the ingredients of that successful recipe? Well, I think it comes down to the same thing. There's a level of trust and transparency that makes a client feel like they're in the right place. Uh, I think trust is one of those things that's hard to get. Uh, and easy to lose. And one of the things that we believe really strongly is we have American Honda as a client for over 30 years. But it's not really a client. It's a collection of people who have chosen to work with a collection of people here. And we need to treat them like individuals and treat them with respect, not just the brand name that they represent. Now, at some point in the company's history, you changed the name of your media planning and buying teams to something else. What's the story behind that? Yeah, well, it has to do with that idea of people first. We changed the media department's name for a while to audience planning and audience uh, strategy or audience strategy and audience investing. And the reason was, was because we really wanted to make sure that in this era of big data that we were continuing to think about how to use data to reach individuals. And one of the things that people first sort of leads us to is this idea that we're not talking to numbers, we're not talking to clusters and groups of people, we're talking to individuals, and we need to treat them like individuals. And one of the things that we've had a tendency to do in media is model large groups of people and then try to buy those large groups of people in a cheap and efficient way. And now we're at this point where we're not trying to model large groups, we're getting to that point where we can actually address people as individuals. So we very much want to talk in terms of who's our audience and what do we want them to do. Very business objective focused instead of what's the cheapest way we can buy a bunch of people who look like the people who buy this already. You use the word holistic in your, in your intro. What, what does that mean to you? What's a holistic approach? 
So I think a holistic approach is what I would call, um, it's what we originally called full service, an agency that does strategy and creative and media and, you know, now web development and email and CRM and all these different things. The difference to me between full service and holistic is that we very much believe that everything should come out of those business objectives at the top. And when you work holistically, those things work together from singular strategies instead of the idea of integration. I used to be the chief integration officer. And to me, integration is a little bit different than holistic planning. Integration means that we're making sure that these pieces weave together and that they work in a symbiotic way, but they aren't necessarily all planned from a singular place. And I think being a holistic agency, one of the real benefits to that for our clients is that if we think that a particular assignment should have 50% of the budget in search, then we move 50% of the budget to search. If you're working with multiple agencies, no agency wants to give up 50% of their budget to another agency. But when you're working holistically, the money can travel back and forth to wherever it makes the most sense. What do you need a client to understand about what RPA does in order to really help them? I think the most important thing that a client can do uh, to be successful with an agency is to maintain a level of trust and transparency, and that obviously goes both ways. One of the challenges that we have sometimes with clients is that a client will come with a very prescriptive solution to their problem and say, we have this problem and here's how we want to fix it and we need you to create some TV spots or a website to answer that problem. And I think where agencies do their best work is when we're actually being included in the solution development, not just given the order of we need two spots on a website. But when somebody says, here's our business challenge, how do you guys think we might be able to help solve this problem? We are all drowning in content these days. What are some strategies that RPA is using to cut through that noise? Well, I think we have a, uh, a theory that we talk about in, internally that the biggest challenge we have right now isn't the competition, it's the scarcity of attention. And people are, you're exactly right, drowning in content. So what do we do to make people pay attention to the content that we create? Uh, it really depends on the client and what we're trying to get them to do. If we go back to that idea that everything should be objectives-based, if we're trying to launch a new car for Honda, then we're trying to build mass awareness within the appropriate target audience. If we are trying to uh, sell cars at the end of a model year, we're going to be very driven at being low in the purchase funnel. So a lot of it is how can we be as relevant as possible the other thing that we do a lot of now is we work within the confines of borrowed interest. Um, people don't care about cars and insurance and some of the things that we represent until it's time to go shop for those things. So I think one of the real changes in our business is this idea that we need to find ways to make people care. So in the car business, it may be that we will work on a program that has social significance to people. In the insurance business, it may be that we work with Ricky Fowler, a professional golfer, who people will care about. And finding ways to tap into those things is, is what really helps you be relevant and to break through that clutter by being content that people actually want to consume. Now, this was many years ago, but I'm a total geek about this kind of thing. Can you tell us about Honda's Project Drive-In? This was probably three years ago, I think. The, there was a program that we put together 
specifically around the Honda Odyssey, Honda's family minivan. And the idea was really simple. We wanted to tap into American car culture and tie it to families. And one of the things that a creative team came up with was this idea that the drive-in movie theater is a great way to make that connection. And in doing a little research, we found that drive-in theaters were basically going out of business. We all grew up going to them, and now they're very hard to find. And a big part of the reason for that is that drive-in theaters had to all convert over a couple years ago to digital projection. And digital projection is a really expensive process probably $75,000 for those projectors. And most of these drive-in theaters were small businesses, mom-and-pop shops, and they just couldn't afford it. So we got together with Honda and Sony and a couple other partners, and we we basically created a campaign to help save drive-in theaters. And it turned out to be a really, really successful program. And I think partly because it really is nostalgic for a lot of us, the idea of not having a drive-in theater and not being able to share that with our kids when it was such a part of our growing up uh, mattered. But what we also found is that it really mattered in a lot of smaller communities where that theater is a gathering point and really a part of their social you know, circle. So I think that when we ran this campaign, we really put it into the hands of the theaters to merchandise themselves and create a grassroots movement. And in, and in so doing... We really empowered a lot of people to come together, support their communities, and Honda becomes a partner in it. And that's exactly what I talk about when we say we need to find ways to share some borrowed interest, is the message of Honda donating some money to buy some theaters is one thing, but getting communities to rally around these theaters and Honda assisting them is a way to make people care about our message. And it also did a lot of good. We raised a lot of money and saved a lot of theaters. They're on the endangered species list, basically. They are. There, there are very few in California. Uh, we, we really don't have a lot of opportunities here. It was really interesting to see the theaters still thrive a little bit in smaller towns in the Midwest and a little bit of Pacific Northwest, but not much in California. Well, let's talk about data. Marketing is becoming more and more addressable and predictive. Describe what you imagine the future to be when things are just 100% addressable. Well, we talk about this a lot. The idea of being 100% addressable really changes the dynamic of how we can market and how we can talk. If you think about historical perspective on advertising, our job was to figure out the kind of customer that was buying the product or service that we were selling, and then try and figure out how we could model and find those people in volume efficiently and cheaply. And I think when we first got into ways to be addressable, whether it was CRM programs or targeted magazine programs and things like that, you paid a huge premium to reach the exact audience that you wanted, and you didn't get to do it with sight, sound, and motion on television or on the internet with immersive video. And we're getting to the point now where the amount of addressable media available to us will allow us to hit those huge numbers of people that we need to reach But instead of one-to-many, it will be one-to-one that will add up to many. And I think that it has huge implications for marketing. We largely, over the years, have figured out what the lowest common denominator messages are, and we use those messages broadly. But we're getting to the point now where we can micro-target 15 different audiences 
with 15 different messages that are most appropriate for them instead of trying to dumb it down to the broader message that maybe is a little less appealing to each individual. A great example of that is the work that we do for Apartments.com. We have very specific target audiences. It turns out there are very simple lifestyle triggers that correlate well with when a person is looking for an apartment. And by using that data, we were able to go out and target people with really specific messages that are really appropriate and relevant to them. And then by collecting the data that comes back from DMPs and all the media sources that we have, we actually feed our information about what those lifestyle triggers are with a much greater detail, and we get more and more efficient. And it's, in some ways, it's machine learning, but in reality, it's people learning from the data that we collect from machines. And, you know, we talk about the day when it will be machine learning and it will be the machines, you know, that, that use that data. At this point, I'm a big believer in data, but I also believe that data is there to inform decision-making, not make decisions for you. Uh, that may change in the future. It's almost like uh, you're becoming FBI profilers of you know, trying to figure out the, the different aspects of, of your target audience. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting, we've had this debate since the Internet started. I've been working in digital since 1993, and there's this idea of privacy, but there's also this idea of it would be great if I only saw ads when I was online that were actually useful and relevant to me. And the reality is the more information you're willing to give about yourself or share about yourself, the more customized the advertising and the content around you will be. So the question is, where's that comfort zone? And it differs for every individual. There are some people that like the idea of if I walked into a store, a beacon would know that my cell phone was there and it would say, hey, Pete, you're at Nordstrom. Did you think about you know, coming back for the half yearly men's sale? Uh, there are other people who are scared to death that that's happening already. And I think that the challenge going forward will be to find what's that comfort level and can it be customized so that you can turn it on and I can turn it off or vice versa. Well, this has all been some really great information. Where can people find out more about RPA and see some of your work? So the easiest place is to go to our website, which is rpa.com. Um, we've also got profiles on LinkedIn and just about every social channel imaginable. But uh, the website's probably the best place to go. Well, Pete M. Wally, COO and EVP of RPA, thank you for being on the AMA Los Angeles podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Icebox Logic.